Well, good evening. Good to see those who are here in person. Glad to have those of you who are joining with us online there. Uh, do be uh, alert this evening, especially later into tonight uh, as storms come through. So uh, welcome there on Facebook, on Twitter, on YouTube. Uh, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at HBC Tullahoma. YouTube is Highland Baptist Tullahoma. Just do a search for either one of those with those names. You'll find it. Uh, there. You can also call us on our phone live streaming, or it may have already called you uh, if you're one of our phone live streaming uh, subscribers. If you want to do that uh, and use that service, uh, just call the church office, leave us a message. We'll get back with you tomorrow to give you that number that you can call in to to subscribe to, uh, or you can leave your number and we will subscribe you uh, on it for you. Uh, but you just call the church office 931 455 0645 uh, to receive that toll free number. Uh, let me just encourage you also while you're uh, online there to go to our church website, HighlandBaptistChurch.com. It's under the info tab that you can download our worship bulletin there. Encourage you to take the time to do that. A lot of upcoming events and things. Uh, you'll especially find our order of service sort of at least the, the gist of what we'll be doing on Sunday, Easter Sunday. So we'll be having sunrise service uh, at 7 o'clock followed by breakfast, and then we'll be uh, having Sunday school at 9.15, worship at 10.30 here in the sanctuary. The choir will be singing a couple of songs, so I encourage you to join with us if you can uh, in person. You're going to be blessed by the service this coming Sunday. Uh, while you're there downloading the worship bulletin, you can also download the children's worship bulletins there under that, uh, as well as you'll get tonight's prayer list there. It's already uploaded, so all you got to do is download it there. Uh, and if you have any prayer requests, please comment those on Facebook. Or you can send those to us in an email at HighlandBaptistTullahoma at gmail.com. And we'll get that information put into uh, the prayer list for you. Uh, and then also don't forget we still have some of the handouts for the Revelation Prophecy, prophecy Chart. Uh, somebody asked me the other day uh, if you ordered the one from David Jeremiah, which is the full color version, how long does it take to get it? And I believe it takes about four to six weeks. That's usually average. Uh, for when you order stuff from some of the ministries. Uh, but we do have these printed copies that have uh, the basic aspects of the chart. Uh, and these are the things we're using as we go through our study of Revelation. We've got some of the numbers also. Those are over here to my right, to your left. If you're here in person, you can pick one of those up. If you want to get some to share with others, uh, there's plenty there, I believe, that you can do that with. So, Brother Mike, if you'll come and lead us in our hymn tonight. And I thank you for being here. Join us tonight as we sing The Old Rugged Cross, hymn 141. Turn to 141. Beautiful old hymn.
So if you are there online with us, be sure, as we said, to go to Facebook. That's where we'll be looking for prayer requests. If you don't get your prayer requests in uh, in time for our prayer time uh, tonight, we'll definitely check here at the end just to make sure. So go ahead and be sure to comment anytime during our time of prayer. Let me just go ahead and mention to you a few, uh, and I'm going to have to leave FaceTime for just a moment to get a message up so that I can share uh, some of these. I've uh, got a couple of these that I need to uh, add and share with you. I uh, want to remember the family of Joe Hudson, who's the mother of Judy Pearson. Some of you may know uh, Judy from uh, being here uh, several years ago, uh, but just remember uh, her family and your prayers and the passing of her mother, Joe Hudson. Uh, and then also remember 
uh, Brenda Brady Holder, who had her eye surgery, uh, as well as uh, to remember uh, Steve Connor. Uh, Steve sent me a message this afternoon, uh, said he wouldn't be able to be here probably, but his eye surgery this morning went very well, said thanks for the prayers. Uh, and so we praise the Lord for that. He also gave an update on, update on Rosalie Moore. Uh, she continues to improve. She had had pneumonia, uh, still has some breathing, coughing issues, but the family appreciates uh, everyone's prayers. And so I uh, just wanted to mention uh, those to you. And then we also had uh, one that, if I can find it back down here, yes, that Sandra Wells uh, had sent us of Charlotte Kirstein's. Uh, she has quite a few problems, um, has uh, physically, uh, and so she's got cirrhosis of the liver. Uh, she was unconscious uh, up until Sunday. Uh, the message came to me last Thursday, and then Sunday uh, she woke up, and uh, she does not know Christ as her Lord and Savior, and so it's a burden on Sandra and Leanne's heart. So we want to be praying uh, that God will put people across Charlotte's path uh, there to visit her. Uh, to share the gospel with her uh, since she has uh, woken up and that uh, God would give her that chance to ask Jesus uh, into her heart. Uh, we had a great turnout yesterday for our um, prime timers group. I had to leave uh, early uh, because I got called as chaplain to the hospital uh, and was asked as I talked with the gentleman there. Uh, he's 96 years old. Some of you may know him, Charles Birchfield. Uh, his wife is Delia. They go to First Baptist. Uh, he's in the hospital uh, here at, at uh, Vanderbilt Harton. So uh, keep him uh, in your prayers. Uh, he asked if we would add him to our prayer list. And then uh, I was trying to think if there's any others. I know we still want to remember Tracy Henderson and her family uh, in the loss of her dad. Uh, that service, memorial service, celebration of life service is going to be coming up uh, the 23rd, 24th. Uh, but we'll give you more information as that gets uh, closer so you'll know about that. It'll be down in Winchester. And then also uh, Linda, Hart, Linda Hawkersmith is doing well, uh, but still recovering with her hand. Still will have some therapy with that. Christopher's doing great uh, with his therapy. Uh, actually, he's coming home uh, this weekend, uh, just for the weekend. And so uh, pray for him as, for safety as he travels. Pray for us. We'll be uh, going for Samantha's scan uh, uh, she had uh, two brain aneurysms, one back in 2004 that she had surgery on, which was the largest, and then uh, we knew there was a second one back then, but there wasn't any, wasn't any rush to do anything because it wasn't uh, that big. So uh, they did surgery on it back in 2015, and so uh, she has to go every two to three years to check up on everything, make sure it's all okay. Uh, so the first and especially is all experimental surgery and and uh, she's in uncharted territory, so they're writing the book on her. <laughs> so um, be in prayer for us as we go. Uh, no signs of anything being wrong or anything with that, uh, but it's always uh, apprehensive. We have to go to Charlotte for that, so uh, keep, keep us in your prayers as we travel for that. Any others that we need to pray for? We, I do have a couple of unspoken requests that someone gave me earlier. Maybe there's some other unspoken uh, here tonight. Maybe you have some unspoken requests there uh, online. Do you have any online that you see there, Jordan? Okay. I'm back on Facebook there so I can see those. Anybody else? Any other updates? 
If you see anyone that's maybe on the list, even if you're at home and you download that list and you notice, oh, I know that person, they're doing well, uh, just please call us at the church office, 455-0645, and that way we can uh, be able to know that to be able uh, to remove them uh, from our prayer list. But these are the ones that we do know of. Uh, Aaron Murray's doing great from, from her mastectomy that she had, the double mastectomy. So uh, we just praise the Lord for that. Uh, and just so if those of you who aren't on Facebook or those social media platforms know, uh, she did get her results back. Everything is great. Uh, cancer-free. Uh, it's a zero on the, on the levels there, so cancer-free. So we just praise the Lord uh, for that. So uh, just continue to pray uh, for them as she continues to heal. All right, I don't see any others, and I don't see any on social media there, so let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll uplift all these, and then we'll get into our Bible study tonight. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much, God, that you are a loving God, you are a caring God, you love us, Lord, and you have always provided for us. You have sent your son, Jesus, who died upon the cross for our sins as we uh, celebrate this weekend, Easter, uh, we remember uh, that on that, uh, what we call a good Friday was a good Friday because Jesus died uh, on that cross in our place that we deserved to die upon. And then three days later, on the first day of the week, on Sunday morning, he arose from the grave. And so, Father, we give you the glory and the honor for giving us victory over death, hell, and the grave through the blood and the body of Jesus Christ. And we just ask, Lord, that you will uh, help us, if we don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, to trust in him. Uh, if we do know Christ, then I pray, God, that we will uh, be renewed in our commitment, especially uh, during this time of the year, that we would invite others to come to church with us. We would look for those opportunities to share the gospel with them. And, Father, we just thank you so much for the opportunities that you have given us. Thank you for uh, the Easter egg hunt and party that we had this past Saturday uh, and, and being able to reach out to so many families, so many individuals. And, Father, I just pray that seeds that were planted will continue to grow. Uh, even as we continue to, to hear good reports uh, all throughout uh, even this week so far from that. So, Father, we give you the glory and the honor for all you're doing. And we ask, Lord, for you to bless us uh, as we come before you in prayer. For we, Lord, we know for you to bless us and for you to hear us, uh, we must uh, make sure that we have confessed our sins before you. And so we come before you tonight, Lord, to ask you to forgive us and to cleanse us of all of our sin. We ask, Heavenly Father, for you to renew our faith uh, with you and help us, Lord, to uh, walk faithfully with you each and every day, to love others and to love you with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. And we've not always done that, so we ask for your cleansing by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, we come before you on behalf of these individuals tonight on our prayer list and those unspoken requests upon our hearts and the others that we've mentioned even. Father, I pray that uh, you will just hear our hearts and that you will reach down your healing hand upon each and every one of these individuals. Many of these are physical needs. And so we just ask for you to divinely intervene, uh, Lord, to bring perfect healing to their bodies. And Father, through the difficulties that they're going through, uh, Father, we pray that you will be glorified and honored. And I pray, Lord, that we would not forget to testify and to give you the glory and the honor for uh, the healings that you have 
have brought about thus far, uh, that we would tell it from the mountaintops so that others uh, will know that Jesus is alive and Jesus heals, and Jesus heals us of our greatest sin, our greatest problem, our sin uh, especially. And so, Father, we pray that uh, you will use us and, and use these times of praying for healing uh, to, be, to bring glory to you and bring good into our lives. Lord, there are many other needs, too, though, uh, that are represented here. There are many spiritual needs, especially. And so, Lord, we pray especially for those who don't know Christ, who are going through these difficult times, uh, physically maybe. And we pray, Lord, that you will use those as opportunities to help them to realize there's nowhere else for them to turn but to Jesus. Lord, there are many people on our hearts, some who are family members, some who are friends, uh, some who are extended family, uh, others who are acquaintances, some who are people we work with, who we know don't know Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. So, uh, Lord, lay those people upon our hearts especially. Help us, Lord, to look for those opportunities uh, here with Easter services this Sunday to invite them to come and to join us uh, just to worship together. And may they hear the gospel message and may their hearts be prepared, Lord, to receive that truth uh, this week. Father, we just pray that you will be with us tonight as we come to study your word. Uh, Lord, we especially look for that threefold blessing of, of hearing your word and reading your word, but especially the keeping uh, of your word. Help us to see the application for our lives, even as we go through these prophecies tonight in Revelation 6. Lord, make your word known to us and help us, Lord, to realize that Revelation is not there to confuse us. Uh, it is there that we do need to study it and to examine it and to make sure that we're letting Scripture interpret Scripture and we're not bringing our own interpretation uh, to the passages. Uh, but, Lord, I pray that you will help us to make it clear and to see it plain uh, what is the message you are trying to teach us uh, so that, Lord, we will be faithful to apply it to our lives. Lord, we especially, especially pray that uh, as we know we all are is, is getting closer to the end for all of us uh, in one of two ways. We know that either Jesus is coming again soon or uh, we know that one day you're going to call us home. Uh, there's going to be that day uh, that's appointed unto every person to, to die uh, and then the judgment. And so, Father, I pray that there will be many who will hear this message tonight and who will respond by faith to trust in Jesus before it's too late. So speak to us in a powerful way tonight. Transform and change our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We'll take your Bibles, if you will, turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 6, and verse 6, verse 1 through verse 17. We're going to be looking at this entire chapter uh, on this section. Uh, you're going to notice here, as we get into this chapter, that uh, we are going to have a radical shift uh, in the scene of what's going on in the book of Revelation. I would also say we had someone who mentioned to us uh, uh, ye yesterday, I believe it was, that our Facebook feed was uh, a little bit delayed, about maybe 10 seconds. If you see some of that, just comment on that on Facebook so we'll know that. Uh, it's not really much we can do about it from our side. It's usually on Facebook's uh, in there. The other feeds, YouTube as well as Twitter, don't seem to have that delay if you want to switch over to them. I just wanted to make mention of that. That just popped back into my head there. Uh, but you're going to see here a radical shift in the scene. 
We move from a scene of joy and a scene of worship in chapters 4 and 5 to when we come to chapter 6, now you're going to see a chapter of judgment. Uh, we move from, the, from distinctive worship to destructive wrath. And we leave, if you will, the mountaintop of spiritual joy to enter the valley of spiritual agony. Uh, chapter 6 is going to take us literally where the action is. Uh, in this chapter, we're ushered into that terrible time that we have come to know as the Great Tribulation. Uh, no other period in human history will approach the, the horror or the terror of uh, this period. So even if you think I may be overstating the case there, uh, let me just share with you this first verse, and then I'll share with you uh, a supporting verse in, in the book of Daniel. Uh, Revelation chapter 6 and verse 1 says this, Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. Now if you're looking at your charts and you have those with you, you'll notice this first big section here is the section of the seven seals. Right next to it is the seven letters to the seven churches. We've had uh, just a little interlude there where we've been looking at heaven and the worship in heaven in chapters 4 and chapter 5 that the king is coming. And now we get down to the nitty-gritty of, of the prophecies of what it is speaking to us of yet to come. And so this whole entire section that says seven seals, and then on the next slide, seven trumpets... And then on the next one, seven bowls, you'll see it there at the end of that section. All three of those sections have to do with the time of the Great Tribulation. Uh, and then there's just a little bit there uh, at the end with the end of the false religion and the collapse of the world market. And then the second coming of Jesus Christ. So as we go through these next chapters... This is where we're going to spend a bulk of our time for a little while in this time of the Great Tribulation. Now, we're not, we won't get into tonight as much. We will a little bit later uh, more specifics about the Great Tribulation because that will entail for us to go back to the Old Testament uh, to look and see uh, about the, the Great Tribulation. How long does it last? Uh, we do find some of that here in the book of Revelation, and we'll see some, some contrasting passages uh, back in the book of Daniel, the book of Ezekiel, that will show us that the Great Tribulation will be seven years, three and a half years at the beginning, three and a half years uh, of the end. The seven seals is in the first three and a half years. Uh, and then the seven trumpets, that's where the split uh, happens uh, there uh, with the other three and a half. And so uh, as we look at these seven seals, we're going to be kind of like Mark's gospel. One seal after another seal after another seal. Uh, and then we're going to take a little pause uh, when we come to chapter seven. Then we're going to go back to the, we're going to go through the first six seals tonight. But then chapter eight is where you'll find the seventh seal. So you won't see all of them here uh, in chapter 6. Well, it's that time of the Great Tribulation. We're in the first half here of the Great Tribulation. Uh, there's no other period in history like it. Uh, Daniel the prophet describes this period of time in Daniel chapter 12 uh, and verse 1. He says, at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as has never been since there was a nation till that time. 
But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. So I'd encourage you to write some of these verses down to help you go back and look at those. Daniel 12, verse 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. Uh, it's true that the Bible says, No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, uh, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who, what, love him. Uh, it would also be true as well to say that eye has not seen, nor has ear heard, what God has prepared for those who don't love him. So the opposite of that is just as true uh, as 1 Corinthians 2.9 says. So this outpouring here that we're going to see uh, of God's wrath that the Old Testament calls the time of Jacob's trouble is so horrible in its scope uh, that it's, it, it is described in three expandable phases. Each one leads into the next. I mentioned that briefly, but let me go into it just a little bit more to say that there are seven seals that will be broken. There will be seven trumpets uh, that will be blown, and there are seven bowls which will be poured out. The seventh seal leads to the seven trumpets. The seventh trumpet leads to the seven uh, bowls. And the seventh bowl ends that terrible, ends with that terrible day of the Lord. So chapter 6 introduces us, if you will, to that first three and a half years of this seven-year period known as the Great Tribulation. And so the scene is set for us as we read there in verse 1. He sees the Lamb. He sees one of the seven seals on that scroll. Remember, we talked about that before. When they were worshiping, that was one of the things uh, they, they'd asked. Who's worthy, not who wants to, but who is worthy to open the scroll, to remove the seals? There was only one that's worthy, and that's the Lamb. That's Jesus Christ. So John now is watching the Lamb open one of the seven seals. And it says that he hears one of the living creatures say with a voice, uh, like thunder, come. And so this first, uh, these first six seals, as we said, cover that time of the first three and a half years. It's what Jesus calls in Matthew 24 and verse 8, the beginning of sorrows. It's a preparation for the second coming of Jesus Christ and the judgment of God upon a world uh, that has rejected his son. So notice the first point is the beginning of God's wrath. The beginning of God's wrath. That first voice of one of those living creatures says, come. Uh, he's speaking uh, to the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Uh, this, uh, this creature is. Uh, he's not speaking to John, telling John to come. Uh, he's, he's speaking to uh, these individuals on these, these four horsemen on their horses. So the picture here uh, is of these four horsemen of the apocalypse. The picture is of some horses that are kind of behind the gate. It's kind of like when you see the horse races, they're kind of behind that gate and they're just, they're waiting. You ever watch those horses? They're just ready and anxious. They're sometimes bunching up against the gate, ready to come through. And then all of a sudden, and the gate opens and here they come. That's what we see happening here uh, as one after another, not all at one time, but one after another. And so uh, they're kind of behind a gate, chomping at the bit to be turned loose. Now notice it's the lamb who removes the first seal and the first horse 
comes charging through. Notice the first horse is the white horse of domination. The white horse of domination. Look at verse 2, if you will. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, like an archer. And a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. Now, a white horse in the Bible is a symbol of victory and, and dominion. Uh, remember, we talked about this before, that we're going to see symbolism all throughout uh, this, this book. It doesn't mean that everything in here is symbolic, but there are things that are. And so the color white there uh, represents victory and dominion on this horse. This rider, though, is the Antichrist, uh, Satan's Superman, if you will. He comes riding on a white horse because he is the counterfeit to Jesus Christ. Uh, he's the devil's imposter. He's, uh, if you will, a demonic substitute for a divine savior. His only weapon is a bow. But notice that there's no arrow. All we see is that he has a bow. No arrow, no quiver. Uh, the bow symbolizes the power of this Antichrist. But the absence of, of the arrow points out that he'll never need to use his bow. Uh, this is a bow, if you will, a bluff, not a bow of battle. Uh, when Satan's Antichrist comes, uh, he will not conquer so much by power as he will by promise of peace. In fact, he will come crying, peace, peace. Uh, that's what his whole uh, message is all about. Uh, he'll conquer by deception and by deceit. Uh, we're specifically told over in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 9 down through verse 11, it says the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false. And so that's what this Antichrist is coming to do, to convince the world that he is the Messiah, that he can solve all the world's problems, that he's going to bring this social, economic, financial utopia. And because of that, what we see in verse 2 is he's given a crown. He's given a crown there, and that crown means that, that he'll be made ruler uh, of this world. He'll become, if you will, the last world dictator. Uh, he'll take over this world uh, without firing e even a shot. Uh, the Bible says there that he goes out conquering and to conquer. Uh, all that he will know is victory. Uh, no one's going to dare to stand in his way. Uh, he'll be hailed as the king of this earth. Jesus said this in John chapter 5 and verse 43. He said, I have come in my father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. That's who Jesus is talking about. What Jesus is saying here is the world rejected me who is the true Christ, the true Messiah, but you're going to receive the false Christ, the Antichrist. That's who this white horse rider is. And so he is the white horse of domination. Uh, we also want to see, secondly, in verse 3 and verse 4, the red horse of division. 
So it says, when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. And out came another horse. So who is that living creature speaking to? The horseman, the rider on the horse there. Come. And so out comes another horse, bright red. Uh, Its rider was permitted to take from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. So you move from a white horse of victory to a red horse of violence. Red in the Bible is the color of blood. Uh, And the Antichrist comes with a promise of peace that we see in the first horse. But the seed of peace is going to ripen into a harvest of war. And we're going to see that as we go all throughout the rest of the book of Revelation, this this war. There's going to be civil wars galore as people kill one another. That's what he's talking about in these verses. Nations are going to fight against nation, tribe against uh, tribe. Uh, As Ezekiel prophesied in Ezekiel 38 and verse 21, 38, 21, he said, I will summon a sword against Gog on all my mountains, declares the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against not his enemy, not the opponent, but his brother, his brother. Blood will flow as freely and as cheaply as running water in a mountain stream. Because never before has the stage of history been more prepared to handle this red horse of war than now. The world's combined inventory, think about this, the world's combined inventory of nuclear warheads remains at a very high level. Nine countries possess roughly 12,700 nuclear warheads as of early 2022. That's unbelievable. And get this, approximately 90% of all nuclear warheads are owned by two nations, the U.S. and Russia, who each have about 4,000 warheads in their military stockpiles. The current stockpile nuclear bombs give the human race the power to destroy the earth at least 15 times over through nuclear flames reaching 130 million degrees in one blinding flash. There's enough nuclear firepower today to kill every human being on this earth 125 times each. Today, not only do we see homicide, the killing of another person, we, we see today things like infanticide, the killing of unborn babies. But then we're also going to see fratricide, the killing of brothers and sisters. We're going to see parricide, the killing of one's parents. We're going to see genocide, the annihilation of entire races. And for the first time in history, there is the possibility of cosmicide. I hadn't even heard of that word before until I was looking more and studying in this passage here. Cosmicide is the annihilation and obliteration of the entire earth. With nuclear weapons, the red horse of war could ride right up to our front door, and there's not absolutely anything we could do about it. Somebody was to set off a nuclear bomb around this world, not absolutely anything we could do about it. You just have the after effects of it. This rider is going to take peace from the earth. Notice that's what it says in verse 4. 
He comes out bright red. Its rider was permitted. So he doesn't have this authority, this power to do it, unless he's been granted it. He's been granted it by God. And so he's been granted the permission uh, to, to take peace from the earth so that the judgment would come, so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. So because while Jesus came to bring peace, the devil comes to bring division and to bring war. Jesus is a peacemaker. The devil is a peace taker. So we see that second horse, a red horse. Notice the third horse is a black horse. It's a black horse of deception. The black horse of deception. Notice verse 5. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. So here comes the horse. Here comes the rider. I looked and behold a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. So think about what's the scales there. Scales are like the balance. Scales weigh things out. Uh, and so you can almost see the image of what this rider is coming to do. Uh, verse 6 goes on to say, I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, get this, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and wine. So this writer, we said, first of all, holds some scales in his hands. Uh, these are measuring scales used to measure wheat, used to measure grain. Uh, it's going to be a time of great famine in this great tribulation because famine always follows war. In fact, famine kills more people than war ever does. In 1946, more people starved to death than were killed in the six years of the entirety of the World War II. Black in the Bible is the color of famine. You go back to the book of Lamentations in the Old Testament. Lamentations 5 and verse 10 says, Our skin is hot. Some versions use the word black uh, as an oven with the burning heat of famine. Starvation is one of the most terrible ways uh, to die known to man. Lamentations 4 verse 9 says, Happier were the victims of the sword than the victims of hunger who wasted away, pierced by the lack of the fruits of the field. Uh, that's Lamentations 4.9. And so food is going to be so scarce in that day that it's going to be given out by weight sold for a high price. Now the word quart there that we see is used to represent the amount required to feed a person for a day. So you read there uh, that it tells us uh, that this, uh, he, in verse uh, 6, uh, he says, A quart of wheat for a denarius, three quarts of barley for a denarius. And so it's used to represent a quart, what it would take to feed a person for one day. A denarius represents the typical day's wages that just the common, ordinary person, not a rich person, not, a, not someone who was uh, up in the upper status, but just the common wage for the common labor. In other words, in that day, a person's going to have to work all day just to earn enough food to feed himself, not even his family. So this depression is going to make what we call the Great Depression look like a Sunday school picnic, if you will. 
It'll be a day when prices are soaring, uh, nations are starving. Again, the world stage is being set for such an event to take place. If you think about this, of the 8 billion, almost 8 billion people on the face of this earth, almost 1 billion go to bed hungry every night. 25,000, that's 25,000 people a day starve to death, or 9 million per year. In the time it takes us to eat dinner, if it takes you 30 minutes to eat dinner, 500 people will die of starvation. That's hard to believe. It's also, though, as this verse tells us, a day when the rich are going to get richer and the poor are going to get poorer. Notice what he says at the end uh, of verse 6 here. He says, and do not harm the oil and the wine. So oil and wine represent the luxuries, if you will, the luxuries of the rich who are lording it over the poor. Today, in our own culture, in our own day and time, uh, there, there's a greater distance than ever between the haves and the have-nots. And one of the greatest causes of revolution in the third world countries is the lack of a middle class. Today in America, people are noting the problem of a shrinking middle class. Uh, the rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poorer. Uh, and and uh, there's nothing that causes more unrest than things like, heard of this, high inflation. We think we have high inflation. In some countries today, the inflation rate is 900% a year. We think we've got it bad. But high inflation rates, high interest rates, you could almost hear even today, the stage is being prepared, the stage is being laid out for the hoofbeats of this black horse of depression. Then notice the pale horse of destruction. The pale horse of destruction in verse 7 down through verse 8. When he opened the fourth seal... I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come. And I looked and behold, a pale horse. So every time they're saying come, it's always directed towards the horse and the rider of the horse. And its rider's name was death and Hades followed him. And there were given authority, they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. So think about what that verse is telling us. That in this great tribulation, when this pale horse of destruction is called forth, there's coming a holocaust so dreadful that one-fourth of the population of the world will die. The latest population figures tell us, as we said, that there are almost 8 billion people in the world. If this were, happen, were to happen today, 2 billion people would die. Do you know what that population is? That is the population of Europe, North America, South America, and Australia all combined. Wiped off the face of the earth. Now we know that, that Asia has about 4.5 billion uh, in Asia. There's about 1.4 billion, I believe it is, in Africa. Uh, but if you combine those four, Europe, North America, South America, and Australia, that's about 2 billion people. That's what would be gone in this one swell 
swoop. They're going to die by the sword. That is by war, like we've never seen before. We've already seen that. They're going to die with hunger. We've talked about that already with the famine, as we've never seen before. But then people are going to be killed with death, with pestilence. Uh, in, in other words, terrible diseases are going to devastate this earth. Disease will become a weapon of war. Think about that. In our world today, nations have stockpiles of chemical and bacterial infested gases that can cause some of the most grotesque and horrible deaths to millions of people. Just a few drops uh, of the most potent nerve poisons in the arsenal uh, of our nation can kill a person just by being brushed on the skin. Uh, we've heard of even reports of, of Russia doing that to individuals in other nations that, they, that were members of their own nation. Uh, you could just think that a quart uh, of this nerve gas could theoretically kill a million people. And, and that's the day in which we're living in. Much less to think about things like COVID-19 and all kinds of biological warfare that could come from those things. Think about COVID-19. If you look at the estimates from what we've been given worldwide, 6.19 million, if the statistics are true, have died worldwide because of COVID-19. It could be weaponized. Uh, they were told that death will come by the wild beasts of the earth. So think about that. The wild beasts, these beasts are, are closely linked with the pestilence that was previously mentioned. That kind of gives us a little bit of clue there to what kind of beast he's speaking of because one of the most destructive creatures on this earth as far as mankind is concerned is a little creature that some of us have sometimes at our homes. You don't have it there as a pet, but you wish they were gone. Rats, mice. If 95% of the rat population was exterminated today uh, off the face of the earth, the rat population would replace itself within a year. Think about that. That's why you can't ever get rid of those rats that you got. They keep multiplying. Think about this. Rats have killed more people than all the wars of history. Rats carry as many as 35 different diseases. Their fleas carry the bubonic plague, which killed a third of the population of Europe in the 14th century. Then fleas also carry typhus, which for four centuries killed an estimated 200 million people. You think about where some of those experiments were going on in China and Wuhan with the coronavirus stuff there. Uh, where, where were they getting some of that from to test? Bats. A flying rat, <laughs> basically. And so uh, these, these beasts in this passage, though they're not only linked with pestilence, notice they're also linked with famine. Rats destroy human food supplies, eating and contaminating food wherever they go. In short, this is going to be a time of unparalleled misery and bloodshed and death. And this is just the beginning. This is just the beginning of the great tribulation that we're looking at. Notice the burden of God's witnesses. 
with the opening of the fifth seal, were taken from earth back to heaven. We're given a picture of the martyrs who were killed for their faith during the tribulation period. We're told in verse 9, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. So when the Old Testament priests, think about this, uh, presented an animal sacrifice, the victim's blood was poured out on the base of the brazen altar. So here what we're seeing is a, is a revelation, and, and revelation is the saints who sacrificed their lives on the altar uh, of the glory of God for the Lord Jesus Christ. Why did they die? Well, verse 9 tells us they died because of their stand for the word of God and for the Son of God. The testimony that they held here is the testimony of Jesus Christ, as we see in Revelation 1, verse 9. And so as we approach the last days in setting up that kind of stage where someone would be killed for their faith in Jesus Christ, for standing for the word of God. Now we think about that, and that happens already in other nations, but that doesn't happen a lot here. Once in a great while we see something like that. Columbine was some of that. As we approach those last days, there's going to be, though, an increased attack on the Word of God and on the Son of God. And we're seeing even today an increasing rebellion against the authority of the Word of God and against the deity of the Son of God. The Bible has never been under a greater attack than it is today. There are some who would like to destroy the Bible, remove it from the face of the earth. There are others who would like to take the Bible and let's just dilute it down, remove all the supernatural things uh, that are there in the Bible. Others would like to just deny the Bible and, and make it just some ordinary book written by ordinary men uh, because they cannot see stand anyone who dares to defend the Bible as the inerrant, immutable Word of God that cannot err and changes not. But not only were they slain for defending the Word of God, but also for standing for the Son of God. They were killed for the testimony that they held or the witness they had borne. So when you take a stand for Jesus Christ, understand the more and more as our, as our lives go on, you're going to see that you're going to make more enemies as you stand for Jesus Christ. Jesus, as you mentioned the name of the person who takes a strong stand even for the Lord Jesus, you may even uh, better duck or, or pucker because someone's either going to uh, hit you or kiss you. It's either a hate-love relationship there. They either hate you or they, or they love you if you stand for Jesus. Jesus even himself made enemies. And, and if you remember, Jesus told his disciples that if you follow me, if you love me, you're going to make enemies too, just like I made enemies. You're going to make enemies because no servant is above his master. And so these are the martyrs who were killed out of their love and loyalty for Jesus. What was it that they cried? Look at verse 10. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. 
Now, when you read that prayer that they're crying out there, it may seem like a strange prayer. It, it kind of maybe even sounds like sour grapes. It sounds like a bitter request, but really it's not. It, it, it isn't the desire for personal vindictiveness, but rather the desire for divine justice. Because in a Hebrew court of law, a plaintiff would plead his own cause. And if there was any failure of the judge to exonerate the plaintiff, that amounted to a decision in favor of the defendant. And so these martyrs had been condemned in the court of humanity and in the eyes of men. But they were appealing now uh, to the highest court, kind of like what we do appealing to the Supreme Court. They're appealing to the highest court, the court of God. Uh, they're appealing to the high court asking that the decision be reversed. They're simply asking the God of this universe to show the righteous of their witness for the Lord Jesus Christ and to vindicate his own son. Notice it wasn't, will you judge the earth? What did they ask? When? When will you judge the earth? The judgment's coming. Our, Dr. R.G. Lee was right. He said in a great sermon that he preached, there is going to be a payday someday. The Bible says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. God is a merciful God, but he's also, as we're told here, holy, and he is righteous, and we're told he is true, and he is reliable, and his honor will be satisfied, and the sinner will be judged, and the saint will be vindicated. That's what verse 11 is talking about. These saints are given robes which represent purity, not their own purity. But remember, they're given robes, were clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. They were told to wait, though, until the final martyr had entered into heaven. And that represents patience. They needed to have patience. God's way is always best, and God's timing is always right. And God is never wrong, and he's never late. And we're told that even if we have to die for the Lord Jesus, that we need to remember that truth won't forever be neglected and wrong will not be forever on the throne. The final thing we see here is the blight of God's world. With the opening of the sixth seal, we're presented a scene here that even Hollywood couldn't create. We see the world as it's never been seen before nor ever again will be seen. We see a fallen world. Notice verse 12. And he opened the sixth seal, and I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and every island was removed from its place. God pulls the shade over the sun, He pulls the rug out from under the stars, He rolls the sky up like a scroll, and everything that's nailed down in this image here is falling apart meteors are falling on the earth like raindrops. The world is plunged into a total darkness. Mountains and islands are literally moved from one position on earth to another position. 
God is literally going to be like grabbing this world by the back of the neck and shaking her by the likes that the world has never experienced. But even this earthquake is not going to be the end of the world. There are three earthquakes recorded in the book of Revelation. There's one in chapter 6 that we see here. There's another that we're going to see later in chapter 11, verse 13. And then there's a final one that happens in chapter 16 and verse 18 through 19. That one will usher in the end of this world as we know it. And so what we're seeing here is simply the beginning of the wrath of God upon this earth. And as terrible as all of that sounds, it's just a foreshadow of the coming catastrophe upon this earth. It's just a small glimpse, if you will, of the grief that's coming to the guilty and to the godless. Notice a fleeing world in verse 15. In verse 15 it says, Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. Kings, he says, are going to hide in caves. The rich are going to run to the rocks. The prophecy of Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 11 and 12 is going to be fulfilled. Here's what that says. The haughty looks of man shall be brought low, and the lofty pride of men shall be humbled, and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low. Dr. Vance Havner said that this would be a day when the most expensive piece of real estate on the earth would be a hole in the ground. And he was right. The first time God ever visited the earth, what did Adam do? He hid. And the last time God comes, uh, prepares to come on this earth, people again are going to try to hide. But they too will learn the lesson that Adam learned. You can run, but you cannot hide. And then finally we see the foolish world in verse 16. Calling to the mountains. Here's what they're going to be doing. Notice who they're calling to. Not God. They're calling to the mountains and the rocks. They're saying, fall on us and hide us. Not kill us, but hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. You see, here's the world's largest prayer meeting. And we see the foolishness of sinful people engaged in false praying. They've run to the wrong place. They've run to the caves instead of to the church. They're praying to the wrong person. They're calling out to the rocks and to the mountains instead of calling out to the one who made the rocks and the mountains. They're calling out to the creation rather than to the creator. They, they, they head for the rocks of the earth when they should have and could have hidden in the rock of ages. And we read later on this scene amazes John. It's almost unbelievable that these people refuse to repent in this terrible time of tribulation, but they don't. And as a matter of fact, just like Pharaoh in the Old Testament, their hearts will be hardened as we're going to see soon. John tells us about them in chapter 9 and verse 20 to 21. But then not only did they refuse to repent, they even blasphemed God the more. Here's what Revelation 16 verse 10 says in 11. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. And they did not repent of their deeds. It's a foolish world that refuses to repent before an omnipotent God. Because as Hebrews 10 31 says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And then we see this fearful world. Strangely enough, we're told they're fleeing. Notice what they're fleeing. They're, they're, it says uh, that, that they, in verse 16, they're calling to the mountains, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who's seated on the throne, and from 
the wrath of who? The lamb. Now remember what we said about the lamb before. This word and this term for lamb is, is like a little lamb. Mary's little lamb. It's a, it's a, a gentle little lamb. And, and so uh, who would ever think of a lamb having wrath? But we see here the little lamb has become heaven's roaring lion. And we need to understand this clearly, that if you're not saved by the blood of the Lamb, you won't be saved from the wrath of the Lamb. If you won't acknowledge the love of God, if you won't appropriate the grace of God, if you won't accept the Son of God, you won't avoid the wrath of God. Billy Graham, you remember, wrote a book on Revelation entitled, Approaching Hoofbeats the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And Dr. Graham said this in his book, how near are the horsemen right now? He said, I do not know. All I can say with certainty is that every sign points to one fact. The hoofbeats of the four horsemen are approaching. It's sounding louder and louder every day. And that is why he said he had entitled that book, Approaching Hoofbeats, because the indication of God's judgment are growing stronger and stronger with each passing hour. He said, pray that God will open our ears to hear and our eyes to see their warning before it's too late. And I could not agree more. I believe it's one minute till midnight on God's clock. And the time is ticking away quickly. And we only have got two choices. Either the worship of the Lord or the wrath of the Lamb. And if there's any message you ought to hear from chapter 6 of Revelation, it's this one. Accept Jesus now. Accept Jesus today. Accept Jesus forever before it's too late. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the revelation that we've seen in chapter 6 here of these seals being opened. What a terrible sight that we've seen. And yet we know, Lord, this is only the tip of the iceberg, if you will, as we're just barely getting a glimpse into the beginning stages of this seven years of great tribulation like we've never seen before. So, Father, I pray that as we continue our study through Revelation, may you create a sense of urgency in the hearts of believers to know without a doubt, Lord, that the sound of the hoofbeats are getting louder and louder with each passing day. That it won't be long before you send your son Jesus to come and to call your children home. But Lord, even if you should tarry and even if you should delay uh, your, your coming because we know, God, that you are not willing for any to perish but for all to come to faith in Jesus Christ. So you are long-suffering. You're more patient than we are. And so if you should delay, Lord, we still know that every single one of us here are getting closer to that day that's appointed for every one of us to die. And so, Father, I pray that we would make sure first and foremost that we're ready for that day, that we know Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. And, Lord, if we don't, that we would call out to you and ask for forgiveness, crying out, God, I believe in what Jesus did for me on the cross. I believe in his resurrection from the grave, and I trust in what Christ did for me. And I ask you to save me and to help me to live for you all the days of my life. Father, I pray that those who pray something like that in their hearts will know 
that if they profess with their lips and believe within their heart, they shall be saved. But Father, I pray for those of us as believers that we will have that sense of urgency to tell others before it's too late for us to tell anymore. Father, I pray that we will encourage people, that we will invite people, that we will do all within our power to share with them the love of Jesus Christ before it's too late. In whose name we pray, amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us uh, online there. We'll be back next Wednesday night uh, to continue this study in the book of Revelation. Come and join us back then. Uh, but in the meantime, we'll be having our special Easter service this Sunday, 7 o'clock sunrise service, followed by breakfast. Uh, we'll have Sunday school at 9.15 and then worship at uh, 10.30. Uh, come and join us here in the sanctuary. If you cannot come, uh, we certainly encourage you to join us there uh, online and to worship with us there. But you have a blessed week and you have a happy Easter uh, Resurrection Sunday this coming Sunday. Take care.